open to Daniel chapter 9. Oh, man, I messed that up too, didn't I? I, I forgot to go back and change the title. This is last week's title. This week's date and last week's title. We are going to be in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. And the title of the message is, let me look at it, the time of the end. The time of the end. So let's go there. Uh, there it is. Will you stand with me as we give honor to God's word? Daniel chapter 12, this is the message translation. That's when Michael, the great angel prince, champion of your people, will step in. It will be a time of trouble, the worst trouble the world has ever seen. But your people will be saved from the trouble, every last one found written in the book. Many who have been long dead and buried will wake up, some to eternal life, others to eternal shame. Men and women who have lived wisely and well will shine bright, brilliantly like the cloudless star-strewn night skies. And those who put others on the right path to life will glow like stars forever. This is a confidential report, Daniel, for your eyes and ears only. Keep it secret. Put the book under lock and key until the end. In the interim, there's going to be a lot of frantic running around trying to figure out what's going on. As I, Daniel, took all this in, two figures appeared. One standing on the bank of the river and one on the other bank. One of them asked a third man who was dressed in linen and who straddled the river. How long is this astonishing story to go on? The man dressed in linen who straddled the river raised both hands to the sky. I heard him solemnly swear by the eternal one that it would be a time, two times, and half a time. That when the oppressor of the holy people was brought down, the story would be complete. It's thinking about it. I heard all this plainly enough, but I didn't understand it. Don't worry if you get a little confused about prophecy. You know, Daniel himself said, I, I, I heard it, but I didn't understand it. So I asked, Master, can you explain this to me? Go on about your business, Daniel, he said. This message is confidential and under lock and key until the end, until things are about to be wrapped up. The populace will be washed clean and made like new, but the wicked will just keep on being wicked without a clue about what's happening. Those who live wisely and well will understand what's going on. From the time that the daily worship is banished from the temple and the obscene desecration is set up in its place, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed are those who patiently make it through the 1,335 days. And you go about your business without fretting or worrying. Relax. When it's all over, you'll be on your feet to receive your reward. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the amazing book of Daniel and for the revelation that it gives to us even to this very day. Though it was written 2,600 years ago, it's relevant to us. It speaks to us this day. Let us open our eyes and ears to hear it and receive from you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me recap for a couple of minutes so you remember where we've been. Most of you have been here already to, to hear where we've been, but if, if you haven't been here, you need to catch up to speed here. We're still working on the series, Abraham and Armageddon. We're still chewing away on that, and we have... Uh, 
studied the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, as his name was changed. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we started looking at the prophecies that we found in the book of Daniel. And so, so far in Daniel, we've looked at chapter 2, which outlines the kingdoms of the last days. And you'll remember Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. Daniel gave the interpretation. It was a statue, and it was made of five different types of material and described five kingdoms that would rule upon the face of the earth. Uh, that statue has not, we have not finished, time-wise, we have not finished the end of that time. We've not gotten past the, the feet of iron and clay. That's the area and time that we're in this very day. And so chapter 2 gives us the image, and you'll remember the, the five kingdoms or empires that it describes with the Babylonian kingdom, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Greek uh, Persian, uh, empire or kingdom, the Roman Empire, and then the revised Roman Empire. Five different kingdoms. And we're still in that phase of the fifth uh, empire or the revised Roman Empire today. Then we moved ahead to chapter 9, and we looked at the vision that was given to Daniel, uh, and it provided for us a timetable. One, one of them gave us a list of the kingdoms that would be in operation. Daniel 9 gives us a list of the timetable or a, a measure to measure the time by, if you will. And uh, it talked about 70 weeks or 77s. Actually, the best translation of that word is 77s. Uh, but we understand because uh, the Old Testament and the Jewish law and uh, history was filled with Types of seven. God gave them seven years and then the year to forgive debts and so forth. And he had uh, seven years of seven for 49 years to the year of Jubilee. Uh, the feasts lasted seven days. And so sevens are all throughout the Old Testament. And this timetable sets up 70 sets of seven, which we understand to be 70 sets of seven years. Now, the first, that that 70-year period was broken again into three pieces. First came the first seven sevens. He says there's a week of sevens or seven sevens that are set aside for the rebuilding of the city, the moat, and the temple. And so we understand that from the time that decree was given, it took 49 years for them to get back to Jerusalem, get the walls rebuilt, get the temple back into operation, get it put back together again, and to have some peace and security going on and to put Jerusalem back in order and go back to the lifestyle or the way of life that they had known before. It took them 49 years. The first set of sevens was rebuilding. And then he talks about 62 sevens, which is... 454 years, is that right? I don't, don't quote me. Get your calculator and check me. Uh, I believe it's uh, that. And uh, <clears throat> that's 62 years. It says at the end of the 62 years, Messiah will be cut off. Referring to the death or the crucifixion of Jesus Christ at the end of this 62-year period. So we've got 7 times 7, the 49. Then we've got 7 times 62, the 
454. When you add those two together, you get 69 sevens for 400 and I think I wrote it down, 90 years. No, nope, 490 is the full, 483 years it would be, 483 years. And Bible scholars tell us that from the day that King Artaxerxes made a proclamation that the nation of Israel could return to Jerusalem and rebuild their city, from that day to the day that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on the donkey, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday, was exactly to the day 483 years, or 69 times 7. Okay, Daniel says there are 70 weeks, and we can account for 69 weeks. How many weeks do we have left? Just one. That's right. One more seven. One seven is left. All right. Let me look at some scriptures with you here. Uh, in Daniel 9, 26, this is what we were doing last week. After the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So that was going to happen at the end of the 62-week period. Because the seven-week period came before that, it's also the end of the 69 weeks. So we're 69 weeks into the schedule. At the end of that, Messiah will be cut off. Well, that's the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, all taking place in that period of time. Then, verse 27, he shall confirm a covenant, and he, we understand within the context there, he is Antichrist. Then he shall confirm a covenant, or a treaty, or an agreement, with many for one week. Well, there's the next week. That, that's, we got 69 weeks already covered before, by the time Jesus got here. Then we have one week left to go. Here it is, in verse 27. He shall confirm a covenant for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. Middle of the week. What's half of seven? Three and a half. Three and a half. So we're dealing with a seven-year period that's divided in half. Three and a half years, three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, about the Great Tribulation period, uh, the book of Revelation and other places. We're going to pick it up and subsequent weeks and talk more about that. But here it is in the book of Daniel that Antichrist confirms a covenant for a week, but in the middle of the week he brings an end. So he violates his own covenant three and a half years into this process. We'll pick that up in a minute and chew on it a little more. Then chapters, that, that ends chapter 9, but chapters 10 and 11 of Daniel go on to give many very specific explicit details of the struggles of those three kingdoms that we were wrapping up in that first 69-week period. Uh, Daniel prophesied during the height of the Babylonian Empire. And you remember he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, said, you are the head of gold, you're the, you're the best king ever. And it goes downhill from here. Uh, so the Babylonians were there, but then the Medes and the Persians conquered them. The Medes and the Persians ruled. In fact, Daniel served under Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. Uh, and then that kingdom was destroyed by the Greek Empire. Alexander the Great came in and wiped out the Medes and the Persians and took over world leadership and world rulership under Alexander. 
And finally, the Roman Empire came and crushed the Greek Empire. And all of this happened before the end of that 62 weeks, or 483 years. Uh, all, all of that took place in that period of time. Because you'll remember that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, who was in control? Roman Empire. When Jesus was crucified, who was in control? The Roman Empire. And in AD 70, when Jerusalem was totally destroyed, who did that? The Roman Empire. So all of these other kingdoms were gone in what now to us seems like a short period of time, and yet 500 years isn't a very short period of time, is it? Uh, our own country is, what, 230 years old, something like that. Uh, seems like forever and ever and ever. But in biblical terms, that's not all that long, is it? You know, that this nation rises up and collapses and, and one takes over and so forth. It seems gigantic to us because our lifespan is small. But reality is, in the scheme of history, our nation has only been here really quite a short while. So... All of these things, all the details, but chapters nine or 10 and 11 give all kinds of details about the characters that arise, about the struggles between the kingdoms, about uh, struggles between power and so forth that took place during that period of time of the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek, and Roman Empire struggle. And he describes that throughout these two chapters, gives specific details. And uh, in the process of doing that, he gives such specific details that historians now looking back at it say that's impossible. Daniel could not possibly have written that in advance. There's just too many details. There's too much stuff. It all happened exactly as it's written. Therefore, somebody must have written that after it was over and then stuck it in the book and said Daniel wrote this when Daniel really didn't. And by the way, Daniel wrote these prophecies 600 years before Christ, but he also wrote them 100 years before any of it began to come to pass. So while Daniel's prophesying about these things, uh, they're not happening in Daniel's lifetime. They didn't happen for 100 years after he died. Well, you'd think if you prophesy something, God's going to do so and so. And if it doesn't happen this week, we're all disappointed, you know. We're like, well, well God let me down. He told me to say this, and then it didn't happen. Well, not in Daniel's case. God told him to say it, and it didn't happen for 100 years, and it is, still isn't complete. That's why we're studying the book today. So uh, that's chapters 11 and 12. We're looking at chapter, I mean, uh, 10 and 11, I'm sorry. That's chapters 10 and 11. We're looking at chapter 12 now. And so chapter 12 gives us some details about the second half of the seven-year period. It begins in that second half. Uh, and chapter 12 says, this is the English Standard Version, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Michael, Michael the archangel. Uh, that is uh, the prince over the nation of Israel. D do you get that? He has charge of the people of Israel. Talking to Daniel, who is a, a Jew, so his nation is the nation of Israel, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, the Jews, the nation of Israel. Who is the prince over the United States of America? Well, I don't know. We don't know his name. Gabriel is the head of the head. But every city, according to Scripture, has an angelic host over it. 
In fact, every church has angels over that church. Bring it on down. Every believer has angels over that believer. Do you know the name of your angels? No. Have you seen them? No, but I've sure felt them. I sure know they. I, I said first service, they're really tired. <laughs> They've been working really hard, thank God. No, the Bible actually tells us that. It's angels with an S on the end, not just one, but more than one. That God has angels watching over us. He has an, there is an angel for the churches of Revelation. There was an angel for each church. I believe there's an angel for Grapevine Fellowship. He's doing a great job. Awesome. Uh, and there's angels over cities and territories and struggle that goes on, spiritual warfare and battle that comes. But Michael is going to come and take charge of the people of Israel. And this is during this last half of the tribulation period we're talking about now in chapter 12. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. There's going to be trouble for Israel like has never been known before. Now listen, that's a, an amazing statement when you consider the trouble they had in AD 70 when the Roman Empire came down and the Bible says like a flood against them and destroyed that city, destroyed men and women and children. Uh, historic descriptions of that say that they did literally cut women open and take their babies out of them and bash the babies in the street. And you just go, how, how, how could anything be worse than that? How could that happen? And yet this scripture says there'll be trouble worse than that for the nation of Israel. That's troubling. That's disturbing. You know, that's, that's not even pleasant to think about uh, or to consider he says, but, thank God for the but, but at that time, your people, who's, who is Daniel's people? Israel. Okay. At that time, during this great, great, great trouble, at that time, your people shall be delivered. What a great promise. There's all kinds of trouble coming. You know our nation is in turmoil, and, and there's a lot of fear out there about, you know, people with guns and people without guns and, and people with bombs and and people with money and people without money and people with food and people without food and all of the chaos and so forth. And it could get ugly. In fact, it has gotten ugly a few times lately. And it seems to be getting uglier. What are we going to do? Run and hide? Dig a hole? Bury a bus? You know? Do some... No, look, look what God says about his own people, Israel, in that last day, in that great time of trouble. He says at that time... Your people shall be delivered. You'll be delivered. I'll, I'll keep you from that trouble. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That is, every Jew that turns to Jesus, acknowledges that Jesus was the Messiah, comes to know him. And this is during the tribulation period, by the way. This is during that great time of trouble. This is during the reign of Antichrist. So some people, even during that reign of Antichrist, will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and deny Antichrist and thereby be saved and be delivered out of that time of trouble. Jesus talked about deliverance for his people all the time. Uh, numerous verses that talk about that, he said in Luke 21. 
verse 25, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Well, there's distress of nation with perplexity now, right? We got that going on. Uh, because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, and the roaring of the sea and the waves refer to the population on earth, the crazy demands of one ethnicity or one society or one culture against the other and the roaring of the various cultures. Uh, so there's great perplexity of the nations, people fainting with fear, foreboding of what is coming on the world. Uh, suicide is now the number one killer of teenagers. It's also the number one killer of people between the age of 25 and 50. Number one killer is people taking their own life for fear. People being so concerned about what's happening in the world that they don't want to be here anymore or they think the solution to their problem is to destroy themselves. Verse 26 prophesied, Jesus prophesied it, people faint with fear and with foreboding of what's coming on the world. The power of the heavens will be shaken. There will be spiritual battle going on. I hope you understand that what's going on in our country right now is not a political battle. It is not. Republicans versus Democrats versus Libertarians and Independents or whatever. That's not what it's about. It's a spiritual battle going on. It's a battle for righteousness or unrighteousness. It's a battle for the things of God or against God. That's what's going on. And the powers of heaven will be shaken with the spiritual battle. Jesus continuing says, and then, and then. So we got those things going on, he promised there. We've got the people fainting. We've got uh, foreboding. We've got the powers of heaven shaken. And when that happens, Jesus said, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So that trouble is the promise that he's at the door. That concern is the promise that deliverance is right here at hand. When these things begin to take place, don't duck and run for cover. He says, stand up straight, straighten up, and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. You know, we've got the feeling sometimes, I, I do myself, well, maybe we ought to just go to the mountains and hide. You know, what if we had a riot in Las Vegas? What, what if all the people couldn't get food? You know, I mean, we have a whole lot of people here looking for food on Tuesdays and Fridays. And, and what, if they did, what if we had to shut the door? They'd probably break the windows or something, you know, and, and be mad. Uh, if we had to shut that down. And, and what if that started across the city? I don't want to get in that. Do you do? I don't want to be part of that. I want to get out of here before that happens. So let's run up to mountaintop and dig a cave or something and, and figure out a place to hide. No, Jesus said, when this starts happening, stand up tall, raise your chin up, and say, God's right at the door. It's just about here. We're in that time, and that ought to be our attitude. You ought to be standing tall and looking for Jesus' return at any minute. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, Wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, what does he do for us? He delivers us from what? He delivers us from the wrath to come. What was Michael going to do for Israel? He was going to deliver them from the wrath of the great tribulation. What is Jesus going to do for you and me? He's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us to wrath. 
God hasn't destined you for wrath. That's not his plan for you. That's not his idea. That's not what he's going to allow to happen. You know, sometimes we have been so ornery and so vile and so wicked that we feel like we deserve wrath. And we're probably right about that. That's what we deserve. But that's not God's plan for us. Clearly stated, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, living or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up, like we're doing now. You know, get happy about it. Don't get sad. Don't get worried. Allow that to be a confirmation that God is right at the door. How about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2? Uh, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. So here comes all the trouble. Don't let it rattle you. Don't let it shake you. Don't let it cause alarm, either by spirit or by spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come and you missed it. Did you ever have a dream like that? That the whole world was gone and all of a sudden you're left behind, you know, the old... Uh, Left Behind series. He said, well, don't, don't let anybody tell you that. For that day will not come. What day? The day of the rapture or the day of the deliverance. That day will not come unless rebellion comes first. Ooh, watch that one. Because I'm kind of thinking that rebellion's in the process right now, isn't it? Rebellion is happening as we speak throughout our nation and around the world. There's a rebellion against God going on. It could get a lot worse, but it's already starting. So that day will not come unless rebellion comes first. Well, rebellion, you might even say rebellion's already here, at least to some extent. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Antichrist is revealed. Do you know who Antichrist is? Do you know his name? Antichrist. Oh, but we probably already know his name. We probably already see him. We just don't recognize him as Antichrist. Now listen, throughout history, the church has always been naming this guy as Antichrist and that guy as Antichrist and the next one's Antichrist. Every president of the United States has been thought to be Antichrist by somebody. You know, if they were a Republican president, the Democrats thought they were Antichrist. And if they were a Democrat president, then the Republicans thought they were Antichrist. And on and on it goes. Hitler was Antichrist, and Mussolini was Antichrist, and, and any other bad guy you want to name was Antichrist, you know, because we're kind of searching and looking and trying to pull back the curtains and, and look in there and say, well, who could it be, who could it be, who could it be? We do not know. You can't say that. But he will be revealed, it says. He will be known, he will be revealed as the son of destruction that opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. Now remember, this is the mid-trib point. Chapter 12 opens at the middle of the tribulation, the three-and-a-half-year period. Uh, and so this Antichrist will step in and claim that he, in fact, is it and uh, ruler of the world. Let me catch up with my notes here. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, he goes on, I told you these things. 
And you know what was restraining him so that he may be revealed in his lawless time? You know, Paul writing, you know what is restraining him so that he may be revealed in his time. Who's restraining the Antichrist? Who's holding the Antichrist back? Yeah, you are. I am. The church. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but they kind of want the church out of the picture. The world is in a move right now to say, you can't, you can't raise your hand at the end of the race and give Jesus credit for, for winning. Oh, no, no, that's bad. You can't say a prayer at a ball game. You can't read the Bible in school. You can't have a Bible verse on a building. You know, you can't even have the Ten Commandments on the wall. And they're trying to take God out of everything that we're doing. And they'd love to do it, but they can't get enough votes to pass it legally because there are these goofy people called Christians that say, no, that's not right. That's morally wrong. Well, let's just have abortion, free reign. Everybody, anybody, you know, free abortions. And there are those stubborn, pinheaded, Bible-thumping Christians that say, no, no, that's wrong. Well, let's have gay people marrying one another and, uh, you know, marriage it just ought to be anything and everything. And those Bible-thumpers, stubborn people that they are, no. That's morally wrong. That will damage our society. That will mess things up. No, we're not going down that road. See, we're troublemakers. We're, we're in the way, at least in their point of view. Some of you are happy about that, huh? <laughs> okay. Well, that's all right. So you know what's restraining him so that he may be revealed? The church. Now, some would say the Holy Spirit. Well, that's only true in a portion because it's the Holy Spirit in you and I that resists the enemy. So when we're out of the way, yes, a measure of the Holy Spirit will be removed, but the Holy Spirit can never be totally removed. Well, number one, people in the tribulation time, some people are going to get saved. You can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. Not only that, our understanding of creation itself is the Holy Spirit holds everything together. The Holy Spirit holds everything together. So if you took him out of creation, there would be no creation. It would just all go whoop, all over. So it can't be the Holy Spirit. It has to be the church taken out. Well, when's the church going to get taken out of here? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was way back there in Paul's time when he's writing about this, that lawlessness was already going on. He who now restrains it, the church, will do so until he's out of the way. How's the church going to get out of the way? They're going to mow us down with machine guns? Well, maybe one or two, but not all of us. All right. Uh, I hope I have that right, Daniel 9.2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, there, there's a place for us and a purpose for us, and our righteousness, while it may not be appreciated by the world at large, is noted by God, and he said, you'll shine like stars. You will turn many to righteousness. Now, there are those that would interpret that verse and say, that meant the apostles 
you know, Peter, James, and John, and Paul. Those guys, they're, sharp, they're stars, and we're just kind of followers along. No. No, we're, we're, they're, they're, they're dead and gone, and we're still declaring the same gospel they declared. So we're doing exactly the same thing they did, and it says, as we follow him, uh, we'll turn many to righteousness. But then it goes on to say, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Shut up the book and seal the words till the time of the end. Just let it all go. See, Daniel's time, 2,600 years ago, God's saying to him, it's going to be a long time. Don't trouble yourself over it. Don't get excited about it, Daniel. You're the messenger boy. Seal the book, and you'll understand it later. And, and then this interesting phrase here says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And we quote that scripture quite a lot these days uh, and say, you know, that means that people are going to be in their automobiles running from New York to, I was going to say Honolulu, but I guess we're not doing that quite yet. <laughs> New York to Los Angeles in our automobiles and buzzing around here, there, and everywhere. Did you know that Jesus was never more than 100 miles from his birthplace? Did you know that? Jesus was never more than 100 miles from his birthplace. And now you and I go hundreds of miles in an afternoon. Uh, so, yes, we're running to and fro. We got on an airplane and fly around the world in a day, you know. Uh, so, yeah, we're running to and fro, and people will quote that scripture saying, see, we're running to and fro, and knowledge will increase because computers and, and the knowledge available to us has tremendously increased, and that's true, and that's a sign of the last day, but that's not what that verse is talking about at all. When you take that verse in context, that verse in context is talking about this prophecy that's being shut up by Daniel, and it says that prophecy will run to and fro. Let's see. Well, I read a little something about it over here in Genesis, and then there's a piece in in Revelation, and whoops, oh, here's something in Matthew, and there's something in Ezekiel, and there's something in Jeremiah, and I found a piece over here, and I'm running to and fro all over the Bible trying to put all those pieces together. And that's what we're doing in our study of Abraham and, and Armageddon, is that we're running to and fro. We're getting this piece, and we're getting that piece, and we're putting this piece, and then it says, as a result of that, knowledge will increase. The more we study prophecy, the more we study these hidden pieces and start fitting them together, the better picture we will have. You, you've worked a jigsaw puzzle, right? And you take a little orange piece and you stick it in here and a blue piece and all of this, and it makes no sense while you're doing it. But once you get it all done, well, look at that. What a beautiful picture. What a neat thing we've created or we've put together uh, as a result of that. And that's exactly what he says about studying prophecy. So we've got all these horrible bad, undesirable things that are coming on the earth and are already in progress. I mean, it, it hurts the mind to think about setting a bomb down beside an eight-year-old and killing them and blowing arms and legs off of dozens of people. It just so... I, I don't, how do you describe that? I mean, it just makes you sick to the pit of your stomach to, to say that how could anybody do such a thing? And yet, it's, this isn't the first time and it isn't the last time. 
and it's only a drop in the bucket to what's actually going. And so you can run and hide to the mountains. You can go build yourself a cave somewhere and live in it and hunker down and just... Or you can do what Jesus said, hold your head high, stand tall, and say, the Lord's right there at the door. You know, the clock is ticking away, and we're just a minute or so away from the end of time. Things are happening so quickly, so rapidly. Pastor Greg shared that great message with us two weeks ago. And since that time, I've sent him two other articles that I've read that confirm exactly what he said, only amplify. And he looked at them and went, oh, my goodness, it's faster than I thought. I said, well, how about this one? He said, I don't even believe that. That's crazy. I said, are you? He said, what's going on in this world? You know? And so while he spoke about something two weeks ago that stirred our hearts, in the meantime, things, other things are happening that magnify and amplify that. What's our attitude? What's our heart? Run and hide, build a cave, bury a bus? No. Stand tall in Jesus. But the Lord is at the door. The time is short. All this trouble on earth, all this wrath of God is not intended for his children. His promise is deliverance. I'll take you out of it. I'll take you away from it. And folks, on earth, when Jesus rules and reigns on earth, well, I'm kind of excited to see a lion lay down by a lamb. That would be fun. To see, yeah, all that harmony together and so forth. But greater than that is, we won't need a gun ban. We're going to beat those things into plowshares. You know, we'll use them for garden tools. We'll, we'll have a peaceful society. We'll be able to raise children where they can walk to school like they used to do without fear without anxiety or worry. And talk to teachers that will teach them about Jesus and not garbage. No, we're looking forward to a world that is set right once and for all. Hey, how about that thousand-year reign with Jesus Christ? Where the whole world comes under his government, and he shows us how the world should have gotten along in the first place. No, we're not destined to wrath. We are destined deliverance. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word, for your promise, for the book of Daniel uh, that e even today still ministers to us all these years later. Lord, bless your word to our hearts. May we have joy and peace and confidence right in the midst of the storm. Things are crazy in this world, but it doesn't touch us. We're in the palm of your hand. We are following after you. And you said for those whose names are written in the book that your deliverance is available and you will keep us even if we were to be at the very end of the tribulation this last three and a half year period. If we were to walk through that, you still would deliver us. You would keep us and that they wouldn't harm us. You said a thousand would fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand. But it won't come near us. Thank you, Lord, for your faithful promise. We ask your blessing upon the word. May it bring forth joy in us. And even while we're maybe watching a newscast that's telling us of uh, unhappy things in this world, it will only bring joy in knowing that you are closer than you've ever been before. Lord, make that real to us. 
give us understanding of the times and seasons in which we live. And they're not times and seasons of great discouragement, but of encouragement, because the end is very near. We look forward to that day when we get to go to be with you and rejoice forever in your presence. Hallelujah. We ask your blessing upon this week. Go with us as we walk. We're talking to people that have no clue about what we know as your truth. Help us to share that with them. Help us to open a conversation and be able to minister to them the hope that we have within us. Lord, may we do it in love and joy and uh, bring many people. We want our history to shine like the stars. We, we want our, our labor before you to be glorious in your sight and in ours. We ask you, thank you for the opportunity. Go with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.